This episode was produced at the Sydney Podcast Studios and School. Hands-on learning for podcast beginners, studio hire for podcast professionals. See sydneypodcaststudios.com.au for all your podcasting needs. Welcome to Golf on the Fringe, a podcast researched, written, and narrated by Connor T. Lewis, and sponsored by the Society of Golf Historians. Golf on the Fringe is a collection of short stories, which I believe will be big topics, from forgotten champions to stolen majors. Golf on the Fringe are the stories lost to history. Today's story is the story of a major championship that was stolen away in the dark and hidden corners of the game. And how it's lost, changed a town, its ancient links, and nearly cost us every major championship that would follow. Imagine a golfing world without an open championship, a U.S. Open, a Masters, and a PGA Championship, and possibly even a world without a PGA and European Tour. That was the rabbit hole golf almost went down in 1892. This is The Stolen Major. Chapter 1. The Migration of the Gentlemen Golfers to Musabra. Our story starts 148 years prior to the events of 1892, on the perimeter of one of the world's oldest golf courses, the five-hole course of Leith Links. It was here in 1744 that the Gentlemen Golfers of Edinburgh wrote the first official rules of golf, and on April 2, 1744, held an open competition for a silver club. On that very day, John Rattray claimed the silver club and the title Captain of Golf. Now, had the silver club competition remained an open challenge, it may have evolved into our first major championship. But 20 years after its inaugural event, it was closed off in 1764 to the golfers of Leith Links, and with it, any hopes to inspire golfers from around the world. 16 years later in 1800, the gentlemen golfers of Edinburgh at Leith Links changed their name to the Honorable, the Edinburgh Company of Golfers, which shortly thereafter morphed into how we know them today, the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers. One of the very first golfing societies, the first to publish an official rules of golf and hold an open competition, the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers had a good 89-year run, but in 1833, the club found itself on the verge of financial ruin. Rather than shutter the club, they did what they had to do, they liquidated, selling all of their assets, including their clubhouse at Leith Links, for an underwhelming 1,130 pounds. The Silver Club competition was suspended from 1831 to 1835 as the club reorganized, and when it was all said and done, in 1836, the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers relocated to the ancient links of Musabra, a seven-hole course that would add an eighth hole two years later, in 1838, and wouldn't add a ninth hole until 1870. Before we move forward with our story, let's take a moment to look back at what might have been. In those early years of golf, the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers had an incredible opportunity to not only become the ruling authority of golf in the world, but also host the first ever open tournament, which could have morphed into the first major championship. To put that in perspective, the RNA wouldn't become a ruling body of golf until the 1890s and golf would have to wait another 117 years 
for the first Open Championship in 1860 at Prestwick. The Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers, originally based in the capital city of Edinburgh, author of golf's first official 13 rules, and host of the first Open Tournament, may have lost an opportunity, but in 1871, it certainly took full advantage of another. Chapter 2. A Challenge to St. Andrew's Golfing Dominance Starting in the 1840s, there was zero doubt as to who was the best golfer in the world. His name was Alan Robertson, the King of Clubs, and he lived in St. Andrews. Alan's dominance over the realm of golf was a thing of legend. He was said to have never lost a match of consequence. And while that may be more of the whispers of lore, this historian is only aware of one match he lost head-to-head. And that was a friendly match with his apprentice, the man he shared his golfing secrets with, old Tom Morris. The question arose across the kingdom, could anyone challenge the dominance of St. Andrews? By the early 1950s, Musborough may have already been a golfing hub, but no one helped put it on the map more than the strong-headed, self-made golfer Willie Park Sr. When Willie Park came onto the stage, he was a player seemingly without weakness or modesty. It was Park's very public challenges directed towards Alan Robertson, considered at that time to be the greatest golfer that ever lived, and his legendary challenge matches with old Tom Morris that set the stage for what would become the Open. When the great Alan Robertson passed away in 1859, the golfing world was left with a hole in it. Who was the best golfer in the world? Had it not been for the cocksure Willie Park and his very public challenge matches with old Tom Morris, the question might not have been in doubt. The question of who was the champion golfer inspired James Ogilvie Fairley of the Presswick Golf Club to establish an annual tournament to settle the matter. Only one year after Alan's death, the stage was set, the actors in place, and the first major championship in the history of golf was born. The Open was born of a rivalry between Old Tom Morris and Willie Park Sr. It was a rivalry of two golfing towns, St. Andrews, which still claims Tom Morris as their own, and Musbra, the home of Willie Park. How dominant were the golfing towns of St. Andrews and Musbra? Consider this. From 1860 to 1884, every single Open was won by a golfer who hailed from one of those two golfing hubs. And from 1860 to 1890, 30 years of Open championships, only two men won the Open from outside of those two towns. Chapter 3. The Birth of the Open Rota The first thing you need to realize is that the RNA had nothing to do with the early days of the Open. The Open was under the full control of Presswick Golf Club, and as such, every Open Championship was to be played at the 12-hole course designed by Old Tom Morris in 1851. Oddly enough, the path to the RNA's involvement in the Open was only made possible by the play of a golfer who hailed from St. Andrews, Tom Morris. Not old Tom Morris, but rather his son, young Tom Morris, known by the golfing community simply as Tommy. In the beginning of the Open, competitors played not for the clear jug, but rather the championship belt. And if a player won the Open three years in a row, they could claim the belt as their own property. The idea in and in itself seemed hard enough. But in only the fourth year of the Open, 1863, 
Old Tom Morris nearly accomplished that feat, finishing in second place, two strokes off Willie Park's winning score. A mere seven years later, young Tom Morris accomplished what his father had failed to do, completing the three-peat in 1870. Young Tom Morris won his first Open at the age of 17 years old and won his third in a row at 1870 at the ripe age of 19, and in doing so, took permanent possession of the championship belt. Young Tom's win became a major dilemma for the Open. With no championship belt and Prestwick unwilling to fund a replacement trophy, the 1871 Open Championship was canceled. Young Tom Morris effectively became the only man in history to cause the cancellation of a major. In 1872, the Open returned, but with a three-way partnership. Prestwick partnered with the RNA of St. Andrews and the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers to fund a new trophy, the Claret Jug, and established the first-ever Open Rota. From this point on in succeeding years, the Open would be played at Prestwick, then St. Andrews, and then Muspra in that order. The Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers may have lost an opportunity at Leith in 1764 to grow the Silver Club competition into a major, but 110 years later, they would play the savior and would host the Open Championship at their new home course of Musabra Links. The Open had entered a new era, built on partnerships with the RNA of St. Andrews, the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers, and Presswick. The newly established Open Rota would be contested on a 12-hole course at Presswick, the 18-hole course at Pilmore Links at St. Andrews, and the 9-hole course at Musabra Links. Nearly 20 years of Open Championship harmony would follow with a three-course Open Rota. Chapter 4. A Thief in the Night The 1891 Open at St. Andrews would be the seventh time the Open Championship was held on the Pilmore Lynx course at St. Andrews. While Hugh Kirkledy took home the Claret Jug that year, the 1891 was also the end of another extraordinary Open Championship scenario. That year, after play had concluded, there was a playoff. Not to decide who would claim the Open Championship, but rather who would claim the second-place prize money. Andrew Kirkledy defeated Willie Fernie in an 18-hole playoff to determine which player finished second and which player finished third. All of that trouble for, and I'm not kidding, one pound. Despite that extraordinary effort to determine the second and third place finishers, the 1891 Open was pulled off without a hitch. Next up, the 1892 Open Championship, which would be hosted by Musselboro Lynx for the seventh time on September 22, 1892. Musselboro Lynx at the beginning of the 1890s was at its peak. It had hosted six Open Championships and boasted of five men from its links to have claimed the Open. Those men, Willie Park Sr., Mungo Park, Willie Park Jr., Bob Ferguson, and David Brown. On top of its great champions, it had become the hub for some of the most influential golf clubs in the world. By 1890, the ancient links of Musselboro was home to the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers, Royal Musselboro, the Royal Burgess Golfing Society, and the Brunsfield Golfing Society, four of the oldest golf clubs in the world, all founded in the 1700s. There was a major catch. The nine-hole links course was severely overcrowded by the 1890s. Home to four of the great golfing households, home to five Open champions, and host to six Open championships, 
Masabra Lynx became an incredibly tough tea time to land. As a result of its popularity, in 1891, the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers decided to purchase land to the east of Musbra in Gullen. With the expertise of old Tom Morris, they built a new 18-hole golf course that they named Muirfield. Unlike St. Andrews and Musbra, this course would only have one golf club affiliated with it. Muirfield Links was the sole property of the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers. At the beginning of 1892, there were whispers that the Honorable Company intended on taking the 1892 Open with them to Muirfield. But the whispers were thrown away as idle speculation and gossip. After all, their new course wasn't even a year old, and certainly was not in any shape to host the most important golf tournament in the world. So the months passed by and the players practiced at Musselboro to ready themselves for the Open Championship. Three months into 1892, on April 11th, the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers made it known that they were selling their clubhouse at Musabra Links. This may have been the first warning of what might come to pass, but the immediate worry for the three remaining golf clubs was how would they make up for the Honorable Company's share of golf course maintenance. Another three months passed, and then on July 2nd, 1892, with over half of the year gone, and only 82 days prior to the 1892 Open Championship, the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers made the announcement that they were taking the Open Championship with them to Muirfield. The notice in the July 2nd Glasgow Herald read, Open Golf Championship. The Open Golf Championship competition for 1892 will take place at the new green of the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers at Muirfield on Thursday and Friday, September 22nd and 23rd next. Two rounds each day in all 72 holes. Entry money, 10 shillings each competitor, all which with 20 pounds added by the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers will be divided into money prizes. With less than three months before the opening tee shot, at the most important golf tournament in the world, the Open Championship, at least in the eyes of the inhabitants of Edinburgh and Musabra, had been stolen away from them. The agreement of the three-course Open Rota had been broken, and questions arose across the kingdom of golf. Complaints came swiftly and across the kingdom. A quote from Andrew Borhill, I do not think there is a single golfer in all of the country that is pleased with the honorable company taking the championship meeting to Muirfield. Glasgow Herald, August 23, 1892, one month prior to the Open Championship. The London Observer noted on August 28, 1892, Considerable dissatisfaction has been created by the golfing community of Scotland owing to the actions of the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers with regard to this year's championship meeting. The undertaking in 1872 was that the competition should take place on the greens of St. Andrews, Presswick, and Muspra in alternate years. Chapter 5. The Armageddon of the Open the theft of what Musbra deemed to be their right to host the 1892 Open did not pass with a whimper. Spurred on by the son of the first Open champion and two-time Open championship winner himself, Willie Park Jr., led the charge against the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers. Less than two months before the 1892 Open, now to be held at Muirfield, Willie Park Jr., along with the remaining clubs of Musbra, and some notable dignitaries from the capital city of Edinburgh waged an all-out war on the Open Championship. Willie Park Jr., using his own money, founded a rival tournament, 
the Masabra Open, which will be held at Masabra Links on the same days of the Open Championship. In a day when cash was king over glory, Willie Park's rival tournament offered a purse much higher than the purse of the Open. Within only a couple of days, some of the best golfers in the world let it be known that they would be playing in the Masabra Open over the Open Championship. After all, they were professionals, and money back then meant respect. Take a moment to take this all in. After 32 years of Open Championships, after 20 years of an open rota between Preswick, St. Andrews, and Masabra, one of the oldest golfing societies in the world, the club that literally wrote the first rules of golf, the very same society that founded one of the first open tournaments in the game, the same society that had helped save the Open Championship in 1871, gave the golfing world 82 days of notice that they were taking the Open Championship to their new home course. That would be akin to a faction of Augusta Nationals membership announcing on January 18th that they were taking the Masters to Oupi Match Club. January 18th to April 6th is exactly 82 days. This moment was one of the most pivotal moments in the history of golf's major championships, and possibly the most pivotal moment in golf's history. Had the Musbra Open succeeded, it might have effectively ended the Open Championship, which in turn could have affected the formation of the U.S. Open and the majors that followed. Without the Open, does Harry Varden travel to the United States in 1900 to spur on the growth of the game in the New World? Without major championships, would the PGA of America have formed in 1916? With no PGA and European Tour, what would golf look like today? It's a near-infinite list of cause and effect that all started on July 2nd, 1892, when the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers gave notice to the world. Chapter 6. The Truce and Fallout of War the game of major championship brinksmanship went all the way to the wire. Whether cooler heads prevailed for the good of the game, or whether the parties of Presswick and the RNA stepped in to make the peace, this historian does not know. With only a couple of weeks before the competing Open and Musabra Open, the warring parties announced a truce. The Musabra Open would be held a week prior to the Open Championship, and in turn the Open Championship would match the purse of the Musabra Open. Disaster was averted, but not without consequences. The fallout of the truce would be dire for Musabra Lynx. Musabra would never host another Open Championship. Willie Park Jr., who had trained for the return of the 1892 Open at his home course of Musabra, would claim the 1892 Musabra Open only to lose to Harold Hilton in the 1892 Open. Willie Park Jr. would never win another major. After winning 11 of the first 32 Open Championships, a Musselboro man would never claim another major. But the deepest cut. After the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers' departure, and in Musselboro's eyes, the subsequent theft of the Open, the remaining golf societies slowly fled the ancient links of Musselboro. The Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers left in 1891. Royal Burgess and the Brunsfield Lynx Golfing Society left in 1895 leaving only Royal Musabra, the last remaining club, who left in 1925. With the ancient golfing societies leaving, so did the golf business that fed the links. In short time, McEwen and Park closed their shops in and around Musabra. The rest of the club and ball makers followed. 
abandoning the course which only five years prior had been one of the great golfing hubs of Scotland. Chapter 7. Obituary and Lasting Impact Let me ask you, the listener, have you heard of Musselboro Links before this podcast? Were you aware that it hosted six majors and that five men from its ranks won the Open Championship? Have you been there? Have you played it? Sadly, for most golfers, the answer to all these questions is no. The real theft in this story is one of memory. What Muspra lost was our acknowledgement. It is a course that is stuck in time before the events of 1892. It is a historical time capsule that you need to visit. After all, at one point in time, it was not unlike Rome, the center of the golfing world. The 1892 Musselboro Open is the rabbit hole of rabbit holes. Had it been successful, and don't kid yourself, it would have been, the game would have changed forever. It was the first and only time a major championship was threatened by an outside tournament. It could have been a pivot point in golf's history. Fortunately for us all, it wasn't. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed the short story of The Stolen Major. This was a production of Golf from the Fringe, presented to you by Connor T. Lewis and the Society of Golf Historians. Music in this episode is used under Creative Commons license. It's by Kevin McLeod and comes from filmmusic.io. Visit incompotech.com for more of Kevin's material. See show notes for direct links.